The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Yeah, and, and it's just really, I, I also mentioned that we sat for about 30 minutes, and it's useful at the end of the set to really open up the practice where you're not directing the attention any particular way. That's really a helpful skill because it really helps the transition into practicing all day long. To sit there for another two, three minutes at least, and now you're purposefully not meditating, right? You're not directing the attention. You're just there as a normal, ordinary, sensitive human being, aware of seeing, aware of hearing, aware of thinking, aware of the body sitting. And it's like really interesting about, just to explore, well, why can't I sustain this present moment awareness all day long? I mean, that's a very interesting question. I'm not saying it would be easy. It wouldn't be. But it's a very important question and a, and a really beautiful aspiration to be present all day long, not just that 30 minutes when you're doing your formal sit, but really honestly aspiring to be present all day long. It's really at the very root of being a competent human being. We can be so much more competent at everything we do, from ordinary things like drinking water and not bumping our heads on the cabinets and tripping on this and speaking wisely. I mean, everything we do is done more competently when we have, when we're bringing to the moment that full, clear, relaxed presence. And in a real sense, and I think I mentioned this in a previous class, in a real sense, there's some danger when we're not mindful, right? It's relatively easier for us to make mistakes when we're not present. And we're basically running on autopilot, going through the motions. Even we can have, you know, be interacting with a friend, but really mostly being on auto, autopilot just kind of going through the motions. There's a really uh, useful image that I think, I heard it from Sharon Salzberg, but I'm not sure she came up with the image, but it's a useful image for a practice. So the idea is there's a tightrope and we're on the tightrope balancing and stuff are coming at us, you know, experience. And if we react, like if we, a pleasant experience comes at us, we'll want to grab onto it. Or if an unpleasant experience comes our way, we'll want to stay away from it. And we might get bored and distracted. <clears throat> but there are any number of ways for us to lose our balance on that tightrope. And then we fall. And here's the interesting part of the simile. You always land back on another tightrope. So we're falling all the time in the sense of, losing that continuity of awareness, mindful awareness, right? But we always end up eventually back in the present moment. Where else could we be? Oh, yeah. Now it's like this. You know, we might have been lost in thought for three minutes or whatever, but then we end up some eventually 
present moment awareness will reestablish itself. Oh, it's like this. Now, we might want to judge ourselves for having been lost in thought, and then we'll lose that moment because we'll get lost in judging ourselves. So oh, I'm such a bad meditator. I just got... And then we're lost again in thought. And then but we'll always come back to the present moment because it's the only place we're always in the present moment. We just forget. So distraction is actually forgetfulness. One of the more important teachers this last 40 years or so has been this Vietnamese monk, Thich Nhat Hanh is his name. He's quite old now and has moved back to Vietnam basically to die. He's had a really serious stroke a few years back. But he's been a, quite an important teacher in the West, uh, both here in the States and in Europe. Um, after he got kicked out of Vietnam during the Vietnam War because he was a peace activist. And nobody liked him. The Viet Cong didn't like him. The Americans didn't like him. The South Vietnamese government didn't like him. So when he went to the Paris peace talks in like 1968, they wouldn't let him back. So it was good for us because he taught in the West for so many years. But Thich Nhat Hanh has this simple teaching that there's only, in, in terms of our awakening practice or mindfulness practice, there's only one enemy, forgetfulness. And what is it that we forget? We're forgetting that this moment is being known. We're forgetting the present moment. The present moment is always something being known. But when we're lost in thought, are we aware that this is being known? No, <laughs> we're lost. We're caught up in the content and there's no sense, oh yeah, this is being known. So I gave you an assignment before we did our set, right? I asked you to see if you could learn something, recognize something about what happens right before the mind gets distracted, right? There's some continuity of present moment awareness. And then at some point the mind's lost in thought. So what's that transition from being aware to being lost in thought? And the other question that would be nice for some of you to reflect on out loud for the others in the group, how about the other way where you're lost in thought and what is that experience of awareness, present moment awareness returning, having been lost in thought? What did you, what have you noticed, not just tonight, but generally in your sits and even during your daily life? What's that experience like when you remember, oh yeah, this is the present moment. This is being known. So let's start with that. And of course, it's totally okay to ask questions too. So um, what have you been learning? What questions have come to mind? And uh, what have you learned about that moment of falling into distraction and that moment of coming out of distraction? What have you learned? Who would like to begin? I just want to mm -hmm. emphasize that you don't have to figure out how you got lost in thought. Like you said, Shannon, just knowing that you're back is what's relevant now. Go ahead, if you had more to say. 
Yeah. What you said at the beginning of your sharing is really important. And I think I mentioned it briefly last week that it's, it really is worthy of memorizing the five hindrances. So wanting something, not wanting something or aversion, too much energy, restlessness and worrying, too little energy, sleepiness and mental dullness and doubt, that spinning of doubt. This is an unwholesome kind of doubt. There's a useful skepticism, but that's not what we're talking about. Doubt is like the mind is staying on the surface. So it's not really resolving the doubt. It's kind of spinning in a way that's unproductive, that, that kind of doubt. And it'd be really useful to be able to catch these tendencies because they're like habit energies. And for some of us, we're more of a wanting type. For others, we're more of a aversive type, you know, so we're not going to have them in equal doses, but we'll have all five of these hindrances as tendencies of our, you know, psychology of our personality. And it's really useful to be able to recognize them before they get a full head of steam, you know, like just in terms of attraction, like of being attracted to another person. And not even sexually attracted. It might be just they seem like an interesting person. But like, so you're in a group and somebody catches your eye. And you haven't started obsessing about who that person is or I'd like to meet that person. But initially, there's just that more raw feeling of attraction, of wanting to look. You know, like even when you're looking outside and, and there's an interesting movement in the trees and there's some bird. And there can be a wanting to see that bird. So it's very simple. And we want to get, we want to notice that impulse to want something, to want to see that bird, to want to recognize that sound, to want to move the body to make this, you know, pain go away, or whatever it is. These subtle, ordinary very ordinary movements of greed and aversion because they're always there. And the problem is, is the not recognizing, like Shannon said, if we don't see it, we don't recognize it. It just like takes over the mind and it's almost like a flip and we get absorbed in the wanting or in the not wanting and we're not, there, there's no wisdom that's aware that we're spinning with wanting or spinning with not wanting. And we won't be aware until the mind starts to come out and we realize, oh, I've been thinking. But while we were lost in thought, we weren't aware. You can't really practice when you're lost in thought, can we? Yeah, thanks for getting us started, Shannon. Other comments, things you've learned about getting distracted and getting undistracted. What have you learned? What have you seen? And what questions are coming up for you? Uh, because to some degree, at least, you were aware of the way that it was. And when there's a lot of sleepiness, you know, sometimes there's something we can do about the sleepiness, but sometimes there's nothing we can really do about it, except we can continue to practice. Can this be okay? The mind is really dull. The body's really heavy. 
feels like this? Can I be interested? I mean, that's sort of an, uh, a really useful question. Can I be interested in this? And that's something you can drop in at any time, like especially times when you feel bored or you think something's happening in your experience that shouldn't be happening. And then just drop in the question, well, is there a way to be interested in this? What would that look like, feel like, to be willing like to let this experience reveal itself? Let me become the world's expert on being present with dullness and sleepiness. What's that heaviness feel like? That fuzziness in the mind? What is that feeling in the nod as the head falls forward? It's like a free fall, isn't it? Yeah, thanks, Sean. Other thoughts? Questions that are emerging in your practice? Thanks, Sarah. That's, that's good to notice that. And it's funny, like on longer retreats when you're sitting with a big group and the mind can really, because the mind's gotten sensitive uh, through the days of the retreat, you can, when you get lost in thought, it's, you can really get lost because the mind is really, it's like becomes a very powerful production studio. And so it's fantasies and whatever it's imagining and thinking about, it gets very seductive. And then somebody sneezes. And it's like you go from one universe, one reality, back to where you are in that room, in this body, in this moment. And then you get maybe sucked back into something. So we can be grateful for those external arisings, the motorcycle that drives by where you're sitting or the sound of the bird or whatever it might be. And, you know, some people even... You know, they're programmed their uh, smartphone to have a little chime at some interval, like every 15 minutes, just like a mindfulness bell going off, and it just brings us back. And you can just do that with anything, like, uh, and usually I talk about this during week six, but I might as well mention it now, you know, whenever you walk in a room, just let that be a cue to be mindful. Or whenever you open your car door, you can train yourself, okay, it's like a little mindfulness spell. I don't know how long it will last, but for that moment when my hand touches the door, uh, the, you know, the knob of the door, <coughs> I'm going to be really 100% there in the experience. And I'll try to sustain it, but I may not. But at least I'll come back. Or whenever I turn on a light switch. Or whatever it might be as just ways of punctuating the being lost in thought. Because that is the normal mode for us human beings, is being lost in thought. So initially, before we have a lot of momentum in our practice, we have to be grateful for whatever it is that brings us back to the moment. Yeah, other thoughts that come to mind? Questions that are emerging? I think you just nailed it right there, Sandy, that last thing you said, because uh, go, what you're talking about going into it, it 
refers to a particular kind of effort where you've become the meditator who's trying to understand a phenomena. And you're, you basically have gone from being in the moment to being in a conceptual mode. There's a problem. I'm a meditator. There's a problem. I need to understand that. And that's what gets you into the thinking mode. And what you're calling sort of more hands-off, that means you're actually with reality, right? So this is a really uh, useful point that Sandy's making because what you will probably notice is what Sandy uh, shared with us, which is be very interested in when you shift your effort. Okay, now I'm going to figure this out like why, what this is, or why I'm doing this. Because you're, you're basically in the story of your meditation. I was sitting, this thing happened, I want to do something to make it go away. And, and then that's the beginning of the novel, your mind is writing, and you're just going to start thinking about that whole predicament. But you'll lose that moment to moment, this is being known, that spacious non-judging, non-controlling, something is being known. This is being known. Now it's like this. Really hands-off. Does that make sense, Sandy? Yeah. Really important point. That's an insight. So that's, that's what I meant, you know, when we see something or learn something, experience something about the nature of the mind and the nature of experience that we haven't seen as clearly before, then we call that an insight. There's wisdom that didn't used to be there. So when somebody sees, as Sandy's saying, she's experiencing that coming back to the present moment has a lightness, feels right, feels good, that's really powerful to start to notice that the aftertaste of having been lost in thought, even really neutral thoughts, you know, not like despicable thoughts, just neutral thinking, oh, I gotta take the garbage out. Even something relatively neutral, the identification of a me who's gotta take the garbage out, there's some squeeze, there's some tension there. It's subtle, right? And so when the mind comes back to that more, the, the mode of being mindful, or oh, this is just something being known. It's like a weight has been put down. It feels right. And it's really important, you know, for our practice to deepen, we really have to be able to start sensing the simple inner pleasure of being mindful and the subtle tension of... Oh, even with relatively neutral, wholesome thinking, thinking is stressful. Even neutral thinking, certainly, you know, obsessing about getting revenge is definitely going to be a tight space. But even ordinary thinking is tight. Sometimes on longer retreats, I get in these loving kindness fantasies. You know, it's almost like Hallmark Channel on steroids. You know, just fantasies about people being good and doing good things. So relatively wholesome thinking, but it's really like the production of these ideas and stories, the attachment to them, the wanting some resolution, 
there's real stress. A little bit like when you're having even a nice dream and then something gets you awake out of the dream, how you want to go back into the drama of the dream. Even like a nice dream. There's some dependence, some squeeze, and we like the intensity. And this is related to how we're in these cycles of stress and suffering, is that we're kind of like an addict, and we've become addicted to intensity, the intensity of self-centered drama. And with practice, we're going to see things as they are. Self-centered dramas are stressful. The mind, the heart being free of self-centered dramas, just being present, not stressful at all. It's a release of relief. I'm so glad you said that, Sandy. It was really a great thing to share. Time for a couple more folks to share before we end. Other things you've noticed about distraction arising, distractions ceasing. And the other thing that might be nice for someone to share about is, have you used mental noting where you're sort of naming what would otherwise maybe distract the mind. You're just naming it, not as a way of pushing it away, but just naming that it's present. Oh, this is the planning mind. Oh, this is just worrying. Anybody, you know, not out loud, of course, but just in your own mind, in your own heart, just that simple giving a name to whatever phenomena is kind of presenting itself in awareness. Anybody try that and want to share how that, like what was the effect? Painful. Yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. You to experiment because physical pain and this wiry thing that Sally's mentioning is not an uncommon, this sort of wiriness of restlessness, the sort of physical manifestation of restlessness because restlessness is both a mental phenomena but also can be a physical phenomenon right just like sleepiness can be mentally dull but the body can also be really exhausted and sleepy so it has both a physical and a mental a lot of these hindrances can have a physical component to it and it's it's really a worthy exercise for not because you have to because you want to learn to really hold steady Okay, let this kill me. I'm pretty sure it won't, but I'm, I'm going to practice just staying soft and relaxed and present and see if it's safe enough just to feel whatever it feels like. And just experiment, will this pass without me having to move the body or without me having to fix it? Because you know what? The, the basic truth of all phenomena is they come and they go. And phenomena come and go whether or not we do anything. Like if I really, 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 really want ice cream, it's really great to sit with that desiring and to realize, to really see it explode and peak, and then it goes away without me actually having to have ice cream. And then we start to feel much more powerful with the fears and the hopes and the lusts and desires that come up because we know we can just be with them and they'll pass without me. Like we might have in the middle of the night, we might have this real storm of fear of death, you know, some existential crisis in the middle of the night. 
and we can sit with it and it can feel like it's going to suffocate or kill us, that eventually these things go away. And then morning news or the morning coffee and, you know, we're laughing with our friend and something else happens. And we look back like, isn't it true? It'd be nice, you know, with the 35 of us or whatever we are now, if everyone told about a time, the thought was this will never end. But the truth was it did end. It was there. It was really intense. It felt unworkable, but actually it was workable. And so this is the last comment. Really get interested when your mind is saying something is unworkable. And just have a little softness like, well, who knows whether this is workable or not? So I might need to move. I might need to make an intervention. But before I make an intervention, I'm just going to open my mind that it's actually workable. It may not be workable, but I'm going to keep my mind open that whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm experiencing here in the present moment, that it's workable in the sense of I can be present with it. I can be willing to feel what I'm feeling, see what I'm seeing. And that like every other experience, it's going to bloom, it's going to manifest, and it's going to pass away. Everything comes and goes. Everything is nature, right? The nature to arise and pass. That's just really the fundamental truth of experience. Now, next week, when uh, week five, we will look at loving kindness and compassion and how that attitude of loving kindness, compassion is really an essential ingredient to be present. It's really hard to be present without there being a flavor of that kindness. So part of your homework when you're just, especially during your daily life and you're remembering to be present and intimate and relaxed, notice that that presence, that mindful presence, really feels and looks like kindness in a very organic way. You're not like, it's not a contrived kind of kindness, but just kindness in its essence is that willingness to include things, right? Like when you're being kind to another person, you're including them. You're not needing them to be different. That wouldn't be kind if you need them to be different. But if you're willing to accept them as they're showing up right now, uh, that's kind. So really notice how kindness really is part of this practice of being present. And we'll do some more specific loving kindness practices next week. And you might want to make sure to read the handout for week five before you come next uh, Tuesday night. It's been really nice being with everybody. And I especially appreciate all of you who are willing to share your practice with us. We learn a lot from hearing so bring your comments and questions next week too. And have a good week, everybody. Take care of yourselves. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.